hey, man, you didn't say anything. What am I supposed to say? Like, hey, man, at the same time? No, you say, hey, man, back. You don't know, like, this is normal social interaction. I thought you were saying, like, hey, man, and then you were going to... I have to do... Say something. I have to spend this amount of time teaching you how to... Silence. Just be normal. Hey, man. And then that's when you... Yeah, silence. That's called a pause, waiting (laughs) for the response. You're so stupid. Hey, man, and then here's what comes next. No. Then you say... That is not true. I thought you were going to say, like, hey, man. Hey, man. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, okay. Fair. Fair point. Mm-hmm. And I kind of did it a little bit different just then. Like, usually yeah. I'm like, hey, man, isms good. Yeah, that's I what just, I was waiting on. Wow. I thought you said you were waiting on something else. All right, let's pretend that never happened. Go ahead and do your hey, hey man, or isms good thing. Howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. We're a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your hosts, Woody Brown. And Tyler Bentz. What's up, brother? Hey, pal. You sound much better. Much better. I I mean, I lost an octave in the bass section of my voice, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's worth it because I feel a, a heck of a lot better. Mm. You uh, must have uh, listened to my advice. Plenty of fluids, some vitamin C, yeah. um, you know, via, via nature. Mm-hmm. So It only took me like a full month to get over it. So <laughs> I hear uh, you're a little Homeopathic. Sick, yeah. yeah, I'm a little <clears throat> nasally, that's for sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, you know, folks... Oftentimes, we really kind of search out the the obscure, especially when we're looking for creatures and cryptids. There's a lot of amazing podcasts out there, some of which, when we have time, we listen to, uh, especially back in the day before we had a podcast, when we had a lot more time to listen to audio. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of them that just do it well and have talked about stories over and over again. And so sometimes we look for things that are kind of your, uh, you know, less known, much more obscure, but every now and then one will pop up that we're like, you know what, we just can't ignore it. We have to do this because of whatever reason. So what are we talking about today, pal? Well, today we're going to talk about the Dover Demon. Yes, that's a classic. I got to tell you this, this is this is really funny. So last night I'm putting my kid to sleep, so I'm laying, you know, just sort of scrolling on my phone and I'd been trying to do a little research, some sort of, you know, to offer up some sort of support stuff to the to the official story. And uh, I was like, well, I'm just going to, like, take a break and because uh, Elliot was not going to sleep. I'm going to take a break, you know, just scroll Instagram. So I happened to go through my messages, and our good buddy Clay had sent me a couple videos that I'd missed. I'm really terrible. I don't—a lot of things slip through the cracks with me. Uh, so there were like several messages and videos that he had sent like, you know, a while back. And oddly enough, he sent me this one video. This is like such crazy synchronicity. He sent me this weird video or not a weird video, but this video of like a windsurfer, pretty amazing video. But anyway, the song was called Devil Came to Me. Hmm. And the band was called Dover. 
What? The Dover Devil, yeah. which was also a phrase that they were using for this entity back in the day. Man. I just thought that was amazing, uh, and it was such a weird synchronicity. I, that, I wrote him back, and I was like, synchronicity abounds, because we know that we're sort of on the right track when those things happen, you know? Oh, yeah, man, absolutely. That's amazing. So part of the reason, too, why we why I was just like, hey, man, we got to do this one this week is because we've got a lot of old and dusty books on the shelves here in, in, in the studio, mm-hmm. and I like to read every morning whenever I wake up, and I was reading through one of them that was actually published in 1978, mm-hmm. and I came across this story, and so it is just incredible. Are you ready? Oh, dude, I'm so ready. In 1977, Dover was the wealthiest town in Massachusetts. It is 15 miles southwest of Boston. Although it is heavily wooded and its houses are spaced several hundred feet apart, it is hardly a place in which one would expect to encounter a strange creature unknown to science. But that's exactly what four teenagers claim they saw over a 25 and a half hour period in April 1977. The bizarre affair began at 10.30 on the evening of April 21st as three 17-year-olds, Bill Bartlett, Mike Mazoka, and Andy Brody, were driving north on Dover's Farm Street. And just a little side note here, folks. Remind me, Tyler, Mm -hmm. to come back. We're going to talk about Dover, uh, the Farm Street, later. I've got a really interesting fact about that. Uh, So just this is a little side note, Mm. folks. Bartlett, who was behind the wheel, spotted something creeping along a low wall of loose stones on the left side of the road. At first he thought it was a dog or a cat, until his headlights hit the thing directly. And Bartlett then realized it was nothing he had ever seen before. The figure slowly turned its head and stared into the light. It's two large, round, glassy, lidless eyes shining brightly, quote, like two orange marbles. Its watermelon-shaped head resting at the top of a thin neck was fully the size of the rest of the body. Except for its oversized head, the creature was thin with long, spindly arms and legs and large hands and feet. The skin was hairless and peach-colored and appeared to have a rough texture, like wet sandpaper. Bill subsequently told author Lauren Coleman. The figure, which stood no more than three and a half to four feet tall, was shaped like a baby's body with long arms and legs. It had been making its way uncertainly along the wall, its long fingers curling around the rocks, when the car lights surprised it. Unfortunately, neither of Bill's companions saw the creature. Mike was watching his own side of the road and Andy was sitting in back talking with him. The sighting lasted only a few seconds and before Bill could speak, he had passed the scene. Mike and Andy told Coleman, however, that their friend was pretty scared and sounded 
genuinely frightened. At first they were skeptical, but Bill's obvious fear forced them to change their minds. I really flew after I saw it, Bill said. I took that corner at 45, which is pretty fast. I said to my friends, did you see that? And they said, nah, describe it. I did, and they said, go back, go back. And I said, no way. When you see something like that, you don't want to stand around and see what it's going to do. They finally got me to go back, and Mike was leaning out of the window yelling, come on, creature. And I was saying, will you cut that out? Andy was yelling, I want to see you. But the creature was gone. Bill dropped his friends off and went home. He was visibly upset as he walked through the door, and his father asked him what was wrong. Young Bartlett related the story to his father, then withdrew to sketch what he had seen. In the meantime, another teenager was about to see the creature. Around midnight, John Baxter had just left his girlfriend Kathy Cronin's house at the south end of Miller's High Road in Dover and started walking up the street on his way home. Half an hour later, after he had walked about a mile, eh, so slow, he observed someone approaching him. Because the figure, <laughs> because the figure was quite short, yeah, kind of rude, huh? Mm-hmm. John assumed it was an acquaintance of his, M.G. Bouchard, who lived on the street. John called out, M.G., is that you? There was no response. But John and the figure continued to approach each other until finally the latter stopped. John then halted as well and asked, Who's that? The sky was dark and overcast and he could see only a shadowy form. Trying to get a better look, he took one step forward and the figure scurried off to the left. Running down a shallow wooded gully, and up the opposite bank. As it ran, John could hear its footfalls on the dry leaves. He followed the thing down the slope, then stopped and looked across the gully. The creature, for now John could see that was what it was, stood in silhouette about 30 feet away, its feet molded around the top of a rock, several feet from a tree. It was leaning toward the tree and had the long fingers of both hands entwined around the trunk, which was eight inches in diameter as if for support. The creature's body reminded John of a monkey's except for its dark figure-eight shaped head. Its eyes, two lighter spots in the middle of the head, were looking straight at John, who after a few minutes began to feel decidedly uneasy. Realizing that he had never seen or heard of such a creature before and fearing what it might do next, he backed carefully up the slope, his heart pounding out of his chest and walked very fast down the road to the intersection at Farm Street. There, a couple passing in a car picked him up and drove him home. The next day, Bill Bartlett told his close friend, Will Tainter, 18, of his sighting. And that night, around midnight, Tainter himself would catch a fleeting glimpse of the creature. He was driving Abby Brabham home when the encounter took place. Abby spotted something in the headlights on the left side of the road. The something was a creature crouched on all fours 
and facing the car. Its body was thin and monkey-like, but its head was large and oblong with no nose, ears, or mouth. The thing was hairless and its skin was tan or beige in color. The facial area around the eyes was lighter and the eyes glowed green. Abby insisted this was the case even after investigators told her that Bill Bartlett had said the eyes were orange. Will saw the creature only momentarily and had the impression of something with a large head and a tan body with its front legs in the air. He didn't know what it was, but he did know that it was not a dog. Frightened, Abby urged him to speed up so that they could get away. Will claims that only after they had left the scene did he recall Bill's sighting. His own had been so brief and unspectacular that he probably would have thought little of it if Abby had not been with him. He asked her to describe the figure, deliberately phrasing misleading questions about aspects of the creature's appearance he knew not to be true in order to check her story against Bartlett's, which he did not mention to her. But Abby stuck to her story. On April 28th, author Lauren Coleman, then living in nearby Needham, was visiting the Dover Country Store when a store employee, Melody Fryer, told him about Bill Bartlett's sighting and sketch. She promised to get him a copy and two days later provided him with two drawings. The next day, Coleman interviewed Bartlett. Then on May 3rd, he questioned Baxter and Brabham, and on the 5th, talked with Tanner. Two weeks later, Coleman pulled in Walter Webb of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Joseph Nyman of the Mutual UFO Network and Ed Fogg of the New England UFO Study Group to join the investigation. Although none of the witnesses had reported seeing a UFO in connection with the Dover Demon, the ufologists were struck by the creature's apparent resemblance to humanoid beings, sometimes associated with UFOs. The investigators interviewed the witnesses' parents, who said they believed the stories. The Bartlett said their son is very honest and open and not the kind of person who enjoys playing pranks. Mrs. Baxter remarked that her son never made up stories, meaning apparently that he never made up stories which he passed off to be true. His father told the reporter that his son does write science fiction, however, but still didn't question John's honesty. John confirmed that he is a science fiction enthusiast, but insisted that that had nothing to do with his report. Will Tanner's father and mother both accepted his story. The father believed Will and Abby had mistaken a conventional animal for the creature. The mother, on the other hand, felt they had seen something genuinely unknown. Alice Stewart, who owned the land closest to the spot where John Baxter allegedly saw the demon, said she had not seen or heard anything unusual that night. Her dogs, which were inside at the time of the reported encounter, had not acted up. Dover Police Chief Carl Sheridan spoke highly of young Bartlett and described him as a reliable witness. Even the high school principal, Richard Wakeley, told Coleman, I don't think that these kids got together and, and invented it. They were not troublemakers, just average students. A police officer said, at first, I was going to ask one of the witnesses to give me whatever it was he was smoking, but I know all four and that to all of us, they're very reputable people. On April 25th, four days after the first sighting, Robert Linton, science instructor at Dover Sherborne Regional High School, overheard Bill Bartlett discussing the encounter with some of the classmates. Later, the science teacher asked him about it, and the youth provided a full account and even drew a picture of the thing. Bartlett is an accomplished artist and a member of Boston's Copley Art Society. 
Linton, who said Bill had told him that the experience scared the hell out of him, accepted the story because of the young man's good reputation. The researchers were especially impressed with Bartlett and with Abby Brabham, who declared adamantly, I know I saw the creature, and I don't care what happens. Investigators found that none of the four were on drugs or drinking at the time of his or her sightings. None of the principals in this affair made any attempt to go to the newspapers or police to publicize their claims. Instead, the sightings gradually leaked out. Finally, the teenager's own parents, the high school principal, the science instructor, and all other adults in Dover whose comments were solicited didn't believe the Dover demon was a fabrication. 30 years after his frightening encounter, William Bartlett stands by his story that the creature, the entity, the being, whatever it was that he and two other teenagers sighted on April 21st and the 23rd in 1977 in Dover, Massachusetts, was real. Lauren Coleman, who coined the name Dover Demon, has commented that the same area in which the strange being was sighted has a tradition of unexplained activity, dating all the way back to the 1700s. An apparent Satan on horseback, tales of buried treasure, and now the Dover Demon. No sightings, however, of the Dover Demon have been officially reported since those strange nights in April 1977. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. Man, I think I think that's so cool. It's unreal, man. Yeah, there, there's like, um, I feel like it sort of opens up like so many sort of directions you can go with this thing, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the, the picture that this kid drew. Is this uh, my one? Is this mic one? Is the, the kid that this is the mic. The mic's not one. The kid that this um, picture drew. Go ahead. The picture. Wait, wait. Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah, that's what you were about to say. I'm. You know, it's we're getting super meta. meta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the picture that this kid drew is part mm. of the reason why I I was just like I don't care what we're do, we're doing this. I'm yeah. signing. You're signing. We're all signing. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. It's scary as heck, man. Yeah. What, what's cool too, uh, so, well, it's interesting because this is sort of a polarizing aspect of the story is that like, so the kid, you know, the the original person who would have the sighting, Bill Bartlett, he went on to become a painter, visual artist, you know, great artist. And so I think we're very, very fortunate to have that because apparently, you know, when he he had the sighting, it really shook him up. And when he got home, he rushed, rushed through the door, rushed to his room to draw a picture of this. So, so it would stay fresh, you know, while it was fresh in his mind, rather. And yeah. then he, he like told his parents. And so I think that's amazing. I mean, that would be like, it would be the difference between, you know, my wife seeing something and me seeing something. I, I'm an artist, so I'm able to capture, you know, like the sort of visual cues would mm-hmm. probably stick in my mind more because I'm I would be more detail oriented because of like, mm. you know, my artistic tendencies. For sure. Uh, Let me break in right here and say <clears throat> you would think that that would oh, mean and translate into you being just fantastic at games like Pictionary. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna come on the record here and say that it's terribly, tragically not the case. <laughs> well, no, no, no. During our no, I, you know, but that's because it's like yourself, a speed thing, dude. It'll be something as simple as bicycle, mm-hmm. and the dadgum timer is about. It's on the last grain of sand, and Tyler is just like drawing the detail of the the bolt that holds the wheel to the bike frame like spokes. before he's yeah. even gotten to the whole bike yet. You know, <laughs> and, and but and that's because it's, I'm Tony is not an artist, and then when her and I are on a team. I'm just saying, dude, she'll just draw something like, boom. She's like, yeah, we get it. Yes, now, you've I, yes. Kind of, you, you've, you've kind of figured it out over the years, and, mm-hmm. and you hear me nagging about, like, don't worry about the details. Give me something simple that I can guess, mm-hmm. and, and you're much better. So I'll give you for, that. For our There's listeners here, I naturally have a tendency to ramble. And so with my art, it, it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he wasn't, like, timed. It wasn't like, okay, you have you know, 20 yeah, seconds right, right, to right. do this. Uh, it's just funny. As you were describing that, I was literally I knew in my mind imagining you just being like, oh, hey, man, can you can you work up a quick sketch? You know, the police officer like, hey, could you work up a quick sketch for us? And you're like, yeah, sure. And then you just like bent over for hours, just sketch, yeah. sketch, 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 doing tick mark, tick marks tick and mark. stuff. Mm-hmm. Boy, howdy. And that's not to take away from the amazing art. I'm just saying mm-hmm. if it's a timed thing, forget, yeah, forget Oh, yeah, it. I'm, I'm, Folks, I'm dead in the water. It. No, but but the reason I bring that up is because the the photo is re, or, or his his artwork is amazing, um, and I think it's a really great thing. However, the skeptics will look at this and be like, "Oh, well, he was an artist, and so he just made it up out of his imagination." And I think that's yeah. kind of unfortunate and sort of unfair, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I oftentimes think like, you know, if if we 
let's just say you and I were like driving somewhere together and Mm -hmm. we just happened to like this exact experience happened to us. Mm -hmm. I can see where we'd be like, okay, guys, you know, because there are, we've talked about this before with like Bigfoot sightings and and even UFO stuff. There are a lot of people that just frankly make stuff up. Yeah, You know what I mean? And it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. and, and it's terrible to those people that, that truly have to like, put their life and livelihood on the line to talk mm-hmm. about some of the things that they've experienced or seen because immediately people think, well, they're just, it's fraud, you know, it's fraudsters. Yeah. Well that, and then also, so Bill being an artist, they, they sort of, that's sort of a, a check against them. And then also John Baxter admitted, I guess that he's like a fan of science fiction. So that's like another thing that they're just like, Oh, well he was into science fiction. So, Right. That would be like, a, yeah. like what you're saying. It's like yeah. we have a podcast where we talk about this stuff. So suddenly that invalidates any sort of thing that that we would ever encounter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and if you're listening, sucks. we're going to put this picture on our Instagram later this week by the time that you listen to this. But by also by the time you listen to this, if you're one of our best friends at our Patreon, mm-hmm. you've actually already seen this picture because we uploaded it as a little sneak preview. That's true. You know, when, when we recorded this episode, so... Mm-hmm. One thing, so doing my research, so Lauren Coleman, uh, the author, is, he's a total bad. He, a lot of the things that we know as like, you know, sort of like canon that are very sort of foundational in the like cryptozoology are because of him, you know, and Jerome Clark. He's another guy that they yeah. would, they would regularly work together. But one of the things that, I found was, and this is a this is a really interesting thing, I think, with this story because it's sort of, well, you'll see what I'm saying. So they were actually out of school at the time. Like, I guess they were on like a break or something. Mm, like spring break or something probably. Yeah, some sort of, some sort of break. They were all, they were off of school for the week. And so, you know, we don't have cell phones. I mean, yes, you can call each other, but I think I think that's a very, very important fact because that sort of would would stop any sort of like, you know, the spreading of information. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think these the other oh, kids I see what you're, you're saying because they're like, not necessarily they're not going to school so much daily. Yeah, yeah that yeah. it's like going from this kid to this kid to this kid. And, oh, mm-hmm. did you hear about this? Mm-hmm. Did you hear about this? Uh, so that's like a really a really it's gonna slow like, it down a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, not, I mean, it's going to pretty much bring it to a halt, really. I mean, yeah. but yeah, so you have these encounters. Another th- interesting thing that Lauren Coleman would, would come up with, and I don't know if, I don't know if this is in the book. I haven't even read the story that, the, you know, the original sort of story in his book, but it did talk about, you know, Bill Bartlett would see it, then John Baxter would see it, and then Abby would see it. Well, all three of these were within a mile and a half of each other. All of these sightings. Mm. And what's really mm. interesting is if, and this is what Lauren Coleman did, he broke it down and looked at like the topography and like the, the maps in the area. And it it follows like a waterway. Like it follows like huh. a, a, a river, like rivers or creeks or whatever. And what was interesting is so Lauren Coleman at the time would have been, you know, I mean, something like 0.4, you know, a, maybe a quarter of a mile like on down. So like he would have actually, you know, it's just sort of that synchronicity. It's like if you, if, if this creature was going, it was like following this line 
it would eventually like ran straight into where he was living at the time, which I think is really pretty cool. Yeah. I did read that like apparently this area in Farm Street and I, you know, whenever I was kind of talking about the actual sightings and stuff earlier, I mentioned that we would come back to it. And Mm -hmm. one thing to kind of like picture in your your mind, listeners, is that it's kind of like been, you know, described that evening. It could have been like sort of almost like a modern day sleepy hollow with woods lining, you know, Mm. these like field stone walls and um, some light coming from the moon. It was overcast and dark. And a lot of the, you know, we've talked about this before on the show too, where down here in the South where where we live, there's not uh, a lot of like really, really old buildings, but up North in Massachusetts and those areas in the Northeast, you know, that's some of the first buildings and colonies and stuff were there. And so a lot of those buildings have a much longer history, same with the the towns and and cities and stuff. And so the, the town history goes back way, way far. But listen to this, man. Uh, I found this quote by uh, Lauren Coleman where it says, Sometime after the end of the Dover Demon Flap, we happened to stumble across this passage in Frank Smith's 1914 book called Dover Farms. Farm mm-hmm. Street, which by the way, Farm Street is where all this kind of, yeah, that's where Bill Bartlett had, uh, had seen this thing. So Farm Street extends from the Medfield line on the south to, this, to Springfield Park on the north and is the second oldest road in town. This street, as present laid out, forms only a part of the original layout, which followed Indian trails. Mm. In the early time, around the 1600s, this road went around by the picturesque Polka Rock, which was called for a man by that name, of whom it is remembered that amid the superstitions of the age, he thought he saw his satanic majesty as he was riding on horseback by this secluded spot. The location has long been looked upon as one in which treasures are hid, but why anyone should go so far inland to hide treasures has never been told. However, there has been at times unmistakable evidence of considerable digging in the immediate vicinity of the rock. Furthermore, Lauren Coleman was able to talk to the, uh, it looks like Ackeson or Aikson family, who saw a barn-sized UFO in this area in June of 1969 with red lights rotating on the bottom and a white triangle underneath. One could begin to wonder if we are dealing with a window area. Mm. What do you think about that? I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really cool. Um, um, you know, one of the things to kind of consider and to think about, I think right out of the gate when people say like, well, you know, especially something that's still unsolved, no one's really mm-hmm. seen it. The question becomes, well, did they really see something? Mm-hmm. And if so, what was it, right? So let's let's explore the did they really see something. So first and foremost, it seems like across the board, it didn't matter who you interviewed in the mm-hmm. town, these kids who weren't really, I mean, I'm sure it's a small town, they were all kind of like friendly with one another, but it doesn't right. sound like they were like friends that hung out together, you know? Yes. Um, and, and, very, well, I mean, I guess like Bartlett had told his buddy who never told Abby um, Brabham, right? And she well, was well, the one that saw it. So I found a clip, an interview with Bartlett. I think it was back in like 2006 or something. And they asked him that question. They said, Did you, you know, were you friends with John Baxter or Abby Brabham? And he said, You know, the, it, was a, it was a small town. So I knew 
of them, but I didn't, mm -hmm. we were never friends. We there, there would be no reason for us to like talk or really our friend groups to even sort of cross, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of like some of those, uh, it's, I feel like it's similar to like Flatwoods Monster maybe or something mm -hmm. like that where like separate groups that really aren't connected yeah. in any way end up seeing the same thing. Again, that's not necessarily proving anything, but it does right. in terms of like, evidence that something happened and, yeah. and and then folks saw actually something that leans a lot of weight on you know those statements in other words like we don't know what it was yet but mm -hmm. they certainly saw something right well dude I, and um, also i think the i mean obviously bill bartlett would go on to be an artist so it, it, mm -hmm. you know it's a little better artistically but man if you look at bill bartlett's sort of depiction of it and then john baxter's I mean, it's pretty dead on, mm. which is mm. fascinating. And the thing too, man, is we and we t we end up talking a lot about this as well on our show, being you know kids from the '80s and '90s. These guys back in the '70s, like I said, they didn't approach newspapers about this. They didn't mm -hmm. approach the the local news. In fact, th those folks came to them. They they didn't want to share this story. It's not like published. They haven't published books about it that I mm -hmm. know of. You know. They saw something, it freaked them out, and that was that, you know? Yeah. So I think let's agree, and, and then we can move forward from here. They saw something. Something, right? right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about what people think they saw. Can I read some of, the, like, the funny theories? Or not funny, but just, like, just some of the some of the initial theories. Yeah, dude, go ahead. Well, and this, for the audience, I think this also kind of will show you and illustrate the fact that, Lauren Coleman isn't just sort of like, oh, I heard about this weird creature. I'm going to go interview the people, write the story, and that's interesting enough, right? This person is actually investigating and and just canvassing right. the town, trying to gather as much facts as he can mm -hmm. to kind of put together what's going on. And so one of the things that he did, because, you know, I think one of the thoughts was, well, maybe somebody, maybe they actually saw like a, uh, a young animal, uh, you know, um, like a like a uh, foal or a moose calf or something like that. So mm -hmm. he went and he went and interviewed local horse owners after the incident, and none reported missing a horse. And then it was also not foaling season. And as far as the moose theory goes, there were I think only two moose sightings reported in Massachusetts in nineteen seventy uh, nineteen seventy seven and nineteen seventy eight. Both of them occurring in central Massachusetts. Yeah, extremely and, rare back then. Right. And a yearling or a young moose by that time in April would have weighed about 600 pounds and would be a fair amount bigger than the Volkswagen Bartlett was in. So it wasn't just a small little thing standing on a, on a stone wall. There's this amazing quote, dude, that is just hilarious. And it says, To have a bipedal moose with long fingers and orange skin and no hair and no nose would be more of a phenomenon than the Dover Demon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, that, I'm, that's what I was talking about. So Lauren Coleman is like, <laughs> like really, really against this statement. So apparently this guy, he's kind of like a weird dude. Um, I mean, I don't know him personally, obviously, but uh, he's this chicken farmer guy, and he reached out to somebody who somehow he got in this like um, – sort of like cryptid journal called like the anomalist and made his case that it was just like 
a possible like hairless like moose calf with its ears back. Mm. And so that's what you're talking about. Like, and and this didn't come out until I think 1996. So this is years later. So it's so, mm. you know, Lauren Coleman seems to believe that, like, you know, a little bit was like, hey, how can I like get famous or how can I get a little notoriety or whatever? But, but yeah, he like discredited the whole thing, like by just saying yeah. like, you know, by doing the research and. And like the season that it would been in, like none none of it like made any sense, really. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Another thing that kind of I find interesting later on when Coleman, or you know, many many years later when Bartlett was interviewed about it, he, he says he's got mixed feelings about the entire experience. And this is his quote: He says, "It was my fifteen minutes of fame without wanting it. It was a little embarrassing, and frankly, it still is." He said that he hasn't talked much to his two children about the creature because he doesn't want to frighten them. And as a professional artist, he's never drawn another picture of the thing he saw. He says, Mm. I'm a serious fine arts painter. I don't want people to think I'm some freak. On the other hand, sometimes Bartlett really does wish that he made it all up. He says, I might have profited from it. It's a great story. I wish it would have been seen again so that everyone would know it was true. Man. Yeah, he, he, uh, I I don't think regrets is, is a is a good term, but like, again, I, I ran across like an interview with Lauren Coleman and, and he said, uh, like one of the interesting things about Bill Bartlett is like every single time he tells the story, he like starts off mm-hmm. by just being like, <sighs> like sighing, like, yeah, here yeah. we go again. And he's like, you know, I hate that everything that my, I've done in my life, like my achievements yeah. and, you know, as an artist to like work to become good and, and all that, like, it's all overshadowed by like maybe seven seconds of something that I saw mm. as a kid. It's like showing up in a town and then being like, play Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. know. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's always, I feel like it's, I'm trying to think through all of the things that we've talked about, all of the sightings and experiences, even mm-hmm. paranormal or cryptid creatures or UFO sightings. I feel like that's actually a common pattern for the ones that we really are like, whoa, that's crazy. Meaning, man, we we kind of feel like, man, maybe this really could be true, is that most of the time, not even most of the time, I think all of the time, unless you can think of one, I think people are like, look, man, I don't really want to be in the spotlight here, man. Like, this is mm-hmm. what happened. It freaked me out. I kind of hate that I've gotten all this attention. I should never have brought it up kind of thing. I mean, even the one that we talked about with the Bleeding House of Atlanta, you know, those folks didn't want all the attention. Right. That's that's a great And example. so yeah. there is something about that that kind of makes me believe it more. But I all you know, the other side of that would be the the sort of skeptical side of it would be like, well, is this just a pattern that is kind of an obvious way to an obvious thing to say mm-hmm. so that people believe it more. You know what I mean? E- I, think, I would say in his case, by actions, we can kind of see as a, like evidence of his actions. He didn't yeah. write a book about it. He's never drawn right. another picture of it. He doesn't mm-hmm. really talk about it unless asked about it. That to yeah. me is evidence enough that it's something that he just didn't want to. Uh, and all this time later, dude, one of those kids would have been like, yeah, we made it up. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's kind of like whenever you made up that story to your cousin that you were like a karate instructor 
Oh, yeah. And he would come over. I forget if you charged him or not, but... Oh, I did charge if, him. You know, you know, if you had somehow kept that for such a long time, <laughs> if if he would have approached me by now, I would have been like, dude, he made it all up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're mm-hmm. best friends. So I'm not going to... You know what I mean? I, I don't yeah. know. This one yeah. to me is just... Now, do you want me to get into, like, other possibilities that... Well, well, let, let's let's sort of go into it as, like... Okay, the obvious. Okay, so I think sort of the easy, most sort of pop culture sort of comparison would be like an alien gray. You know, you have your big eyes, you have your giant head, you have uh, little to no nose or mouth. You know, they're very, very small, you know, skinny, spindly arms and legs, very short. I mean, it is kind of a dead ringer for that. Yeah, and I think that was kind of cool that Coleman brought in ufologists and people in that field mm-hmm. just yeah. to kind of see if there was any similarities. Yeah, I mean, it's weird though, man. Like there's the alien side, but it does feel more like that sort of quote. Is this some sort of window area, a place mm-hmm. where it just so happens that like things kind of come out of there, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big fan of the window areas. So I I don't know. It, it's funny because since we've been doing the show, I think, I think when I was younger, the idea of like, oh well, it's it's like an alien gray, and it's you know, it's it's ship has crashed and it's like just out there. Which, I mean, not the gray part, but like the Flatwoods monster. Like there is an element of that that is very believable to me. But I don't know. It's like the the idea that like you know extraterrestrials and like alien grays, uh, the idea that they're a very like physical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of gone meaning meaning nuts and bolts, like so a creature like made a physical craft, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what you mean yeah. by physical thing. Okay. And like the flesh and blood of like an alien gray. Like, there's something about that that I've kind of gotten away from. Like, I lean more into like the interdimensional thing, and like the so. I, I feel like it's an easy sort of like tie-in just from like the way it looks, but there's something like nagging in my mind that says that it's it's something else because like like does that make any sense? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Um, you know, if if I put like the skeptic hat on for a second, mm-hmm. one thing that I was interested they didn't really talk about was like, well, what about the possibilities of it being some sort of like mangy. Like or like a hairless cat, you right. know. Like mm-hmm. if you ever seen if you, and I love them, dude. I've I've wanted one for so long. Like oh, they're weird. A hairless cat. They're definitely weird looking, but man, mm-hmm. they are. They're also so cool looking to me. Yeah. Just descriptively, it kind of sounds like that. And I kind of looked up. Well, are there any wild cats in Massachusetts right now? The only one that's still present that they see or mm-hmm. that have you know they've seen is a bobcat, which. Those are relatively large enough to maybe if it was a hair, and I don't want to, I'm going on like I'm stretching the possibilities here, but let's just talk about if for some reason none of the other crazy stuff existed and we had mm-hmm. to think of what could the earthly explanation be? Maybe a hairless bobcat. I looked to see like there were um, mountain lions, but like the last reported one was like 1858 or something in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe there was some sort of uh, cat that had a, uh, an illness that made it hairless. Um, because I don't think that hairless cats were like common in 1977 as a household pet. So 
Yeah, but but I think like the the upright part sort of gets rid of that in a way, uh, especially you know John Baxter's sort of situation, which to me that's like the scariest one. Yeah. We will return after these messages. It's a pretty good place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. The kid, so basically, he's over at his girlfriend's. Uh, and by the way, th- there's some like weird like aspects of his story that, I mean, even though I don't necessarily lean in to the idea that it's, oh, it's like, it's for sure like an alien gray. There are elements of his story that are kind of bizarre. So it says that like he, and everywhere I looked, it it said the exact same thing. So he left his girlfriend's house around like midnight. And then he had only walked a mile within like 30 minutes. And so Mm -hmm. it's just odd, like just the idea that like, okay, it's like midnight, it's dark. I don't care how much of like a bat you are you're going to be kind of like making your way through, you know, fairly quickly. Making my way down. Yeah, I know. I thought of that too. But you know what I'm saying? It's like it, every single yeah. thing that I've read about this said that same fact. And it's like, did this kid have like missing time? Like, Oh, yeah, like, I didn't think of that. Like how did it take this kid 30 minutes to like not even make a full mile? Um, so that was weird. And then secondly. Well, hold on. What? What if it was like. And it's been a while since we've been in Boston, but you remember how those roads were, you remember the reason I thought of it was, remember how Booba just blew through the stop sign and it was like our van was airborne. Wasn't it like real like, like up and down, up and down. So it's not just flat. It was pretty hilly. I don't know yeah. if that's how, it, you know, and it's not too Maybe. far. It's 15 yeah. miles from Boston. Heck, we probably drove through Dover and we didn't even yeah. know it. I know. I, I thought of the same thing. I know. Youth is wasted on the young. It sure is, pal. No, but that, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything to no, that. No, I like but, that. That's a, no, but that's a that's a good uh, that's a good thought, man. Yeah, missing um, time. But his story is to me just the idea that like okay, you're it's you know twelve thirty at night. Nobody else is around. He sees like which it's funny that he immediately saw the silhouette of this character with a giant head, and he thought, oh, this that looks like the head of this this kid in my class. Uh, so he's yeah, like, oops. Yeah, he so he's walking toward, you know, setting the scene. He's walking toward this figure who's walking towards him, you know, at 12:30 at night, you know. And I think I think it was still like like fairly you know, dark, so it was only like the silhouette that he really could see because even the even his comment with like the eyes where you know, Abby Brabham and Bill Bartlett both, you know, they mentioned like the colored eyes, but him he said the the eyes were just lighter against like a darker head. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking it's just like almost totally silhouette. But he says like... Man, that that's <clears> a good point, dude. Real quick, let me break in. So this thing's walking on two legs. I, I completely forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So not a whole lot of hairless cats that uh, yeah, could no. be mistaken for a classmate. Yeah, no, not at all. Okay, keep going, sorry. And then he says as he got closer, 
he started realizing like, oh, wait a minute, this is something about this is off. Because he said like the head was like, he describes it as like a figure eight. Yeah, dude. Which is really interesting. Then he says he, he, he began to like get scared as, you know, closer, 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 closer. This thing's coming toward me. I don't know this person. This isn't this kid with a giant head in my class. And then he, he yelled out like, um, like, who is that? Who is this? And he said when he did that, the thing like sort of scurried off and he could hear the sound of, of like bare feet on leaves. Yeah. Also, it's hard for me not to believe this dude didn't like, hadn't smoked a little ganja because like he's just chilling he's just walking slow yeah you know, maybe if it's not missing time and then the first thing like how do you mistaken somebody for a classmate well um, i mean it's probably really dark you know it is 12 30 at night yeah and you know i don't know hmm. how like rural the area would be but uh and then there's another sort of fact with this whole story that i found like really interesting. And it actually kind of made me think of my own sort of situation with like the orbs and all that stuff is when Bill Bartlett saw this thing, uh, he was adamant that the eyes were like two large glowing orange marbles, right? And then Abby Brabham said that they were bright green. And yeah. Which she the said- bright green re- reflects, that, that sounds more cat-like, you know, like when Woodrow and I are running no, 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 but she was she out. was adamant that they were like glowing bright green. Yeah. Just like I mean, just like Bill like Bartlett was. Yeah, his were orange though. That's what's weird, man. Yeah. So so that's 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 what what takes me back to like when I kind of had this encounter with these orbs. If you remember, uh, my wife now, girlfriend at the time, or fiance at the time, were laying in the bed. I looked over. I thought that this thing was her laptop breathing, so I saw blue. She like jumps up out of bed uh, because she's freaked out because she sees it in red. And that's not the only time that I've like heard this sort of occurrence where like different mm. people, and we've even talked about this, where different people are seeing like different colors. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like the way our brain sort of like, you know, accepts the reality of whatever we're seeing or if there's something in like, I don't know, like the, the like filtering, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it is like some sort of, like dimensional thing or you know is it like are we seeing through the veil like at like a maybe a different frequency than someone else Mm. um Mm -hmm. but i I just think that was really interesting and especially the fact that you know bill obviously a a a young boy abby's a girl you know and then my wife and i seeing like the two different colors when looking at the same thing i just thought that was really really a cool yeah kind of thing because she said that she said since then you know in interviews and stuff that that Everybody kept, which kind of sucks because it's like, you know, I'm sure they didn't do this with, with Bill Bartlett, but like, because she was probably a, you know, a girl, they were like, are you sure it wasn't orange? Are you sure? And she was like, no, 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 I am adamant. It was glowing bright green. Now, sweetheart, you just see it right there. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, Yeah, that sucks. So let's get into some other uh, sort of parallels that people come up with. So I've heard uh, some people say, oh, well, it's it's like a puckwudgie. And if you've never heard of that, I know it sounds a little funny, but mm-hmm. the word puckwudgie is a human-like creature found in uh, Wampanoag folklore. It sort of originates out of like Delaware and Prince Edward Island. This thing, like the Dover Demon, two to three feet tall, 
The word Pukwudgie is translated by Henry Schoolcraft as Little Wild Man of the Woods That Vanishes, Whoa. which is pretty cool. Yeah. And for our international listeners, you're, you're, you're talking about a tribe of, of uh, Native Americans, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lore. Indians, First Nation people. Yeah. Yeah. So according to the legend, Pukwudgies can appear and disappear at will. It's said that they can shapeshift of which the most common form is a creature that looks like a porcupine from the back, so or like a hedgehog, like Sonic, and half troll and half human from the front walks upright. Like a lot of these these um, sort of trickster characters, they, they like to lure people to their deaths. Uh, they have magic, and apparently they, they use poison arrows to hunt with. Oh, cool. Which is pretty cool, yeah. They're like uh, the brownies in Willow. Yeah, exactly. So the new one. Yeah. Haven't finished um, yet. Keep going. But it says like the natives would say that they were friendly to humans, but you would, they would leave them, you know, like offerings and stuff to, you know, to kind of get on their good side sort of thing. Man. You know, they, it, it was said in like the early sort of tribes that, that they would even like kidnap children. Uh, they would push people off cliffs. You know, it's a very sort of like folklore, kind of like trickster entity thing. To me, I don't know the way that they look. I don't think it. I don't think it's a strong connection visually. W- one thing that is interesting, and I've never heard this, but in Henry Wad- Wadsworth Longfellow's epic poem, "The Song of Hiawatha," he actually talks about these things, which is amazing to me. Uh, it goes like this: Far and wide among the nations, spread the name and fame of Quasind. No man dared to strive with Quasind. No man could compete with Quasind. But the mischievous Pukwudgies, they, the envious little people, they, the fairies and the pygmies, plotted and conspired against him. Man. So that's really cool. You know, I just, I wanted to throw that in there because sometimes I've noticed that uh, that people will sort of draw similarities to the Pukwudgies. I personally don't think they're cool. It's quite the same thing. I mean, maybe the shape-shifting Part, mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's about it. Listen to this, man. I just found I just found an account about a Pukwudgie that happened in uh, 1927. Oh, whoa! Can, do you want me to throw it in there? Get in there, pal. All right. So this guy named Paul Startsman of Anderson, Indiana, says that he believes the Native American stories are true. In fact, he believes the little wild men of the forest have survived into present times because he has seen them himself. Startsman was already familiar with the legends of the uh, Pukwudgie and then sometimes the Paisaki. Mm-hmm. Um, his grandmother, Mary Gunyon, was a Native American and used to entertain his mother and her sister with the tales of the little people who lived along the banks of the nearby White River. Now, mm-hmm. just real quick, I'm going to break in here. Interesting that yep. the Dover Demon followed that trail near the near water, where water the sightings were near water, and then here we go with the, the White River. Okay, I'm going to continue. Yeah. In 1927, when Startsman was 10 years old, he was hiking along an overgrown gravel pit when he came face to face with a little man who was no bigger than two feet tall. He said that we stopped about 10 yards apart and looked at each other. He had thick, dark blonde hair, and his face was round and pinkish in color, like it was sunburned. Starsman also observed the little man was barefoot and wore a long, light blue gown that came down to his ankles. Before Starsman could move, the little man turned and quickly moved away into the underbrush. Later, he said that 
he and a school buddy spotted another Paisaki following them as they walked near the same gravel pit. This little person again wore a long gown that Startsman speculates could have been a man's shirt that the Paisaki might have stolen from a clothesline. He believes that there were a race of pygmy-like men that existed in Indiana long before the first Native Americans occupied this part of the world. The Native American tribes believed it best to maintain friendly relations with the little people. Food and other gifts were left out in the forest, and the little people in return would warn the tribes of enemies or the whereabouts of game animals. They were considered very shy and usually avoided contact with people. The little people are said to communicate with each other by making tapping sounds with rocks or sticks or imitating the whistles of songbirds. And that right there, that's pretty interesting because, um, you know, as our listeners probably know, but I know you do, a lot of times, a lot of Bigfoot, yeah, well, not sightings necessarily, but, you know, people that are investigating and trying to find Bigfoot and stuff will oftentimes describe encounters in the deep woods where they hear mm-hmm. a lot of knocking and whistles yeah, tree and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, actually, so I thought that was interesting. When my wife and I first got married in our humble beginnings, we lived way out in the woods in this like little trailer of my uncle's. And for some reason, we were up like super late. It was like 3.30 in the morning or something. And we heard like what sounded like somebody like banging like a like a pretty big stick or like baseball bat, you know, mm. as far as heaviness at least, was just banging the hell out of like a tree. And it almost sounded like there was like a pattern to it, almost mm. like a, I don't know, maybe it was doing like Morse code, but <laughs> yeah, I've never forgot that. Like, I don't know what it was, but you know, I don't know. It, I mean, it was like some sort of like tree knocking, but you know, mm. either it was somebody well, on math or- Could have been a number friend. of things. <laughs> so the other thing, and this is one that, I mean, all road well, not all roads, but a lot of roads lead to this, and that is the Managishi. So the Managishi is a cryptid uh, from like the Cree natives of Canada, like the Ojibwe. Apparently, the Managishi, which we, we've talked about numerous times, yeah, um, they're sort of a. I, I, I guess in like the Cree folklore, they they talk about like the there were like basically two races of people. There were the humans, and then there were the Managishi, and they were, you know, known as like the little people. It's said that they would live between the rocks and the rapids, another tide of water. Uh, one of their mm-hmm. biggest delights was to crawl out of the rocks and capsize the canoe of like, you know, <laughs> canoes of people coming down the rapids. Yeah, yeah. Who needs video games? Yeah, exactly. They were described as, as pygmy-like, human-looking entities uh, that resemble little men with long, thin legs and arms. They're, this is interesting, too. They are said to have 12 fingers, six on each hand. Uh, their round, bulbous, hairless heads with large eyes and no nose are apparently quite big in comparison to their small bodies. According to the Cree Indians, the Managishi are responsible for the pictographs found on the rocks in the area, and their dwelling places are among the rocks near the rapids. It is said mm-hmm. that they are great tricksters and you know, basically love playing tricks and jokes on humans. I think that's, I mean, pretty amazing, you know? Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, that, even the physical description seems pretty close, you know? Yeah, I mean, and what's what's interesting, too, is, like, there's a lot of these these type, 
these sort of like entities in in like Native American and you know First Nations and Indigenous people folklore, you know they talk about. I think it's sort of in the Southwest. I think Arizona. Uh, they have a cryptid that's that's they call like the devil monkeys, and I know that's mm. also a thing here in Appalachia, Appalachia, where you know they say that there's basically these sort of monkey-looking things that are that can turn invisible. And to me, that that's a decent correlation to like the sort of more recent accounts of like the what they call like the glimmer man, where it's sort of the, the basically like the predator. You know, it's like this cloaked figure that's able to jump from tree to tree like a monkey. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, as far as like the devil monkeys, I don't know that they're well. The the ones in like the southwest are are small, so they'd be like you know four to five feet tall. But then I think the ones here in Appalachia are, are looked at more as a sort of like man size, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they're all they're always mischievous, or is that just like just one of the things that they could possibly? Yeah, so so like the devil monkeys here, you know, that are in Appalachia are looked at. So there, there's like a it's a common sort of native kind of uh, suggestion that like you never look up in the trees because these things are always watching. Anytime you feel like you're being watched in the woods alone. Um, you know, which this is common with like Bigfoot stuff is like, you know, you like all the sounds die down like the Oz effect. And then there, there are these things like up in the trees, like watching you and, you know, they're able to like cloak themselves. I think those are more sort of not totally like mischievous, but like pretty like bad. Like they look at that as like a, yeah, like a, you know, this thing will, you know, kill you kind of thing. But another one that I found, which this is this is interesting too, which it's sort of a spinoff of like the the Manigishi, but it's called the Meimei Guishi. It said similar kind of thing. They were created from the bark of trees. They had large heads, hairy, you know, the size of a child. They had a voice that sounds like the whine of a, of a dragonfly. Narrow faces, no nose, small mouths, if any. This is interesting because this is like a uh, like Algonquin Ojibwe. They can only yeah. be seen by children and medicine men. Mm. And they're also known to carve symbols on the rocks and trees. The the thing about that that I almost was like, well, that says like they're hairy, you know, that that sort of goes against that. But a lot of people believe that through the ages, like the name, so the word Maymay means hairy. And so people think that like maybe by the name, people were thinking, oh, well, that means that they're hairy. But the, there's another word that's like memengua, which means butterfly. I don't know. I, I, I think there's, yeah. that's kind of interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I mean, I love how like there's within these cultures and stuff, there's this like untapped resource of folklore and creatures, but then somehow they there are parallels far into the future. In other words, like in 1977, do I think this kid and his friends we're just diving through the any, if any, available literature at the time to go into these Native American, into this Native yeah. American lore and find right. all this stuff to come up with this idea. No, right? And so if they mm. did make it up, well, also, this goes back to when we talk about, you know, the power of creating things where that resource that's being tapped is is coming from and the the access to it and all this, it's like, what are the freaking chances, dude, that they're so parallel to something that is in Native American lore mm-hmm. hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds and hundreds of years before they were alive? 
so yeah. crazy, man. So I discovered something that I think is, uh, I think could really be tied in with this. And I don't know if, I don't know if it's been looked at before, but I, I just, you know, I, I typed in 1977 and I was looking for, you know, like cryptid reports. And I ran across this thing that I'd never heard of. So this takes place in Toronto in 1978. And Toronto is about an eight hour drive from, from Dover, by the way, I looked it up. It was a warm summer's day in August of 1978 when a Toronto man would experience would have an experience with a strange creature that would forever change his life. He was afraid to put in his last name because he didn't want people to think he was crazy. He, you know, he just goes by the name Ernest. Him and his wife had been raising a litter of, of kittens, and one or two of the kittens had disappeared. So he went out to sort of search for it, and it said that he was around the vicinity of their Parliament Street apartment in Toronto. He stumbled upon, upon an opening to the dark cave and crawled approximately 10 feet inward. So, oh, boy. I guess kind of like a... Here we go. Yeah, just wait. It, it's amazing. Uh, also, side note before I continue, Toronto is built like on top of all these waterways. So there's apparently oh, like a man. huge underground like water system because there's just tons of like waterways in Toronto. I never knew that until now. So, you know, and we, get, we learn know. something every day. Yeah. It said, you know, he had a flashlight. He shined it forward and he would describe the monster as long and thin, almost like a monkey, three feet long, weighing maybe 30 pounds and slate gray skin. However, it was the eyes that truly stood out. You ready for this? Orange and yeah. red, shining and slanted. Boy. Ernest spoke reluctantly with the reporters as to what occurred next. The creature spoke to him. I'll never forget it. He said, it said, go away, go away in a hissing voice. So is that the same hissing man. voice like the Managishi that, or the uh, the Meimei Gweishi uh, that, that has a voice that sounds like the whine of a dragonfly? Man. So, Yeah. Then it took then it took took off down a long tunnel off to the side and you know Ernest would would run away shaking in fear. It says Ernest never approached the media with his story. He was afraid that people would think that he was a drunk or crazy and he felt that no one would ever believe him. But his wife said that it had changed him for it it, it made like a very drastic change in his personality just in general. Yeah. Well, god, I bet. Yeah, yeah. What's weird is it said that I guess later he would be like in the area maybe and maybe he it was some detail where he he ended up finding, you know, one of his dead kittens that was like half buried in in the entrance to that tunnel. So Man. like what's going on over there, you know? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that we preach quite often on this show and that's number one, if you find an artifact in the woods, Leave it there. Number two, <laughs> yeah. if you happen to stumble upon a cave system, mm. turn around and run like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I I, th I just thought that was really, really interesting. The sort of, I don't know. I mean, it sounds so similar. And I mean, yes, it's, it's kind of farther away. But I don't know. There's something to me that stood out with, you know, the ideas that these things live, live along, you know, 
the, the banks or like in between the rocks of like rivers and waterways. And then, you know, you like what I said at the beginning of the show, the idea that all of these encounters of the Dover Demon were in a straight line and it followed, it directly followed like a major waterway in the area. And then, then I find out that Toronto is like basically built on top of all these massive waterways. So it's like, are these the same things? And now they're just living in these tunnels because, you know, there's a city built on top pretty much. I don't know. Well, I, I think it's I, mean, I think it's fascinating. And I mean, not to get into this, but there are a lot of theories of uh, basically those areas, cave systems and all that kind of stuff being the way that some of these cryptids are able to be so elusive. Oh, right, right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And just kind of looking quickly on the maps here, you know, there's none that I can see necessarily near Dover, mm-hmm. but north of Boston, there are two cave systems that are pretty interestingly named. The first is called Panther Cave, and the mm. other is called Indian Cave. So I'm cool. just saying, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're kind of connecting a lot of dots here, but... It is very interesting, man. And if there's anything to wrap it all up and put a nice bow on it, do I know what they saw? Absolutely not. But I definitely think they saw something. Yeah. Something that isn't something that's just your normal run of the day animal or Mm -hmm. classmate that's walking around uh, the streets in Dover, Massachusetts late at night. Yeah, I totally agree. Another little aside is like, I don't even think you've seen it yet, but, uh, there's a show, I think you can watch it all on YouTube for free, but this like docu-series called Hellier that I'm a big fan of. I mean, some of Mm -hmm. this stuff gets into, uh, sort of the spirit communication that I'm sort of like, I don't know, like it kind of loses me a little bit in that, but Overall, it's it's a pretty cool show, and a lot of it is based off of like, you know, these cave systems and the idea of like like the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins, and basically in Hellier, Kentucky, this this it all sort of starts by this man that claimed that like these goblins basically would like were coming onto his property, and he was able to see them and stuff, and then they, you know, he sort of surmised that like they they lived in these like cave systems, which. If you don't know, like the largest cave systems on the whole planet are through like the Appalachian Mountains, which is, you know, you get into like super conspiracy, like underground bases Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, which I mean, I believe all of it, but, (laughs) but yeah, no, I I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, like the tarot and the darrow, you know, all these way, way back, like Admiral Byrd, the hollow earth, like this idea that there's like this you know, totally subterranean, mm-hmm. like, cave systems that houses these, like, other creatures, kind of like the Morlocks in X-Men, basically. Yeah. I don't know. I it's, think there could um, be something to that. For sure. I mean, something to dive into and investigate more of, for sure, man. And yeah. like we say all the time, you know, our whatever country you're living in currently as you're listening to this show, our ancient native cultures that were here before we were have mm-hmm. some incredible information, man. And, you know, if we can get our hands on it, boy, oh, yeah. I'm sure we're going to learn a lot. Yeah. I think that's one of, one of the greatest things about just having the internet is that, you know, like what you were saying before with, with like the, the odds of, of these eyewitnesses, these kids 
back in the 70s, the odds of them knowing some of this like folklore, you know, indigenous mm-hmm. folklore was probably pretty slim, but it's nice now having the internet is, you know, we're able to get, and I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that that we will still never hear about, you know, that's very oh, yeah. kept, kept very yeah. close to the chest, you know, but but it's it's awesome. Any sort of knowledge that we're able to glean from from these tribes people. Yeah, man. It's incredible. Well, pal, you got anything else? Man, I'm just so glad that we finally covered the Dover Demon. Yeah, me too, man. I feel like it's we can check cool off. such a story, man. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because it is a, um, it's probably in the top 10 cryptid cases, you know, of all time. Mm-hmm. But I find it curious because there's so little, that there's so many possibilities of what maybe it could have links to this, you know, the Managishi, yeah. the... All that, but there's there's it's pretty. The eyewitness accounts are pretty, pretty short little encounters, you know. Yeah. But it made yeah. such a mark that like it's you know it's in the top ten. And you know what? This is something else that's interesting. I mean, the fact that it was only seen during that short period of time, couple of days, mm-hmm. and then never again by only those people, and it's just in that top ten is just. I mean, it's powerful, right? And I feel like. Yeah. Some of my favorite stories, Sam the Sandown Clown. Oh, yeah. Flatwoods Monster. And now mm-hmm. I got to say, I'm going to say something pretty huge here. This has now made it into my favorites because it's not a continuous. For some reason, I'm just kind of attracted to these stories uh, that, that happen, that never really happen again. And they're, right, right. They're, uh, what, what am I looking for? Like the, the eyewitness accounts are sort of airtight so to speak, mm-hmm. and doesn't just kind of like, oh, yeah, I saw something like that too. It's just like, boom, we saw this, all of us separately. You know, I don't know, man. It's this thing, and I can't wait to show people this this picture. It's ooh, it's creepy, man. I, I think what you're trying thing. to say, it only happened in this in this little flap, and then it was mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. I think that's, that's what we used to call too. Tyler in the band, Little Flap. But anyway. Yeah, Little Flap. Um, well, we, we used to call you Big Flap, but then you got your ears <laughs> pinned. Oh, God. Dude. <laughs> but the, anyway, gonna, if you'd like to reach out to us, we have an Instagram. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a DM if you want to tell us some, you know, some of your own local stories. Uh, if it's more long form, shoot it over to that would be radpod at gmail.com. We would really love to hear from you. I mean, that's that's our bread and butter. That's the thing that we probably get excited mm-hmm. about the most. I, well, the gifts are really nice. Um, oh, my gosh, dude. I'm so – hold on. I'm sorry. I, I completely – I can't believe God. I'm just now uh, talking about this. I have to say thank you so much to Sean who oh, reached yeah. out, sent, sent a DM and said, hey, you know, I – was going to start this Dungeons and Dragons campaign with my nephew. This was before the pandemic. And then like, essentially we couldn't really, and I got all of these unpainted minis and, you know, this stuff for this campaign, but you know, it's now three years have passed and my nephew's kind of too cool for that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really have any interest in hanging out with his uncle uh, and playing Dungeons and Dragons I've wanted to, he basically said, I wanted to donate them to somebody I know will use them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, I mean, yeah, man, if if you're sure. Dude, I expected like a little, teeny little box of like, you know, a couple of figures here and there. I go to the P.O. box and there is this humongous, I couldn't even believe it. This box is humongous. I'm like, what? 
I open this thing up, and by now our listeners have seen this on the Instagram, but mm-hmm. it's this huge box of miniatures, some that are completely painted. I mean, dragons, uh, tons of unpainted miniatures. I mean, so, so much. It was like way overboard, completely blown away. He also uh, put in some of these Batman uh, faces that, oh, yeah. uh, for you that you can paint. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, this kind of shows the level of uh, nerd I am. But immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to throw these at the characters uh, in oh. our own campaign. So I got to say, Sean, thank you so much, man. Like I was blown away. And so, to everybody that just sends us stuff, it's just yeah. incredible. Now, we're using a temporary P.O. Box number, so I'm not going to say it here on the show. But if for some reason you would like to send us anything, even if it's just a handwritten letter that says, hey, guys, yeah, man. just thought, you, you know, here's a postcard from Dover, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, if you're interested in doing something like that, just send us a DM and we'll give you the P.O. Box uh, number to be able to do that. But, I mean, seriously, that my mind was blown, and I, and I can't say it enough to everyone that sends us things. It's just... just this it's so sweet and mm-hmm. uh, thoughtful and so cool and thank you so much, Sean. So sorry to interrupt you, Tyler, but I can't believe I waited until just now to uh, to say that. No, I'm I'm actually grateful because I was also meaning to mention our good good buddy Clay sent me a gift a 1978 uh, Star Wars land speeder with a little nice. Luke figure, and I've yes. wanted that. Little land speeder toy forever from my from Return of the Jedi. No, I think it's just oh, new hope. oh, you like, mean like like the desert? Oh, one. the the yes, the one from Tatooine, the speeder. Yes. that he's like right. Those aren't the druid uh, or like yes, uh, yes. move along, move along. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He sent me one of those, and I always wanted it. And I don't even think I've said that on the show, which is pretty interesting yeah. that he sent that. But yeah. again, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much, Clay. Thank you so much, everyone, for your gifts. You guys, we, we've said it before, but you guys are the best fans, family mm-hmm. out there of anywhere. Yeah. So we're super appreciative and uh, we're really thankful. Anyway, go to our website. That would be radpodcast.com where you can listen to episodes, links to, to different podcatchers. You can leave five-star reviews, which we're always thankful for. So if you have a minute, please go leave us a five-star review. It makes a huge difference in, you know, people that are able to, like, you know, learn about our podcast. The coolest part about the site is if you do have your story, like I mentioned before, if you do have a local encounter, or maybe you saw a ghost or a spirit or uh, your own puck scenario, you can call in directly from the website and uh, leave your story there. So that's really cool. Like we try to always say, Go out there and tell one friend about the show. It it means the world to us, and it also really makes a difference. So I guess that's about it, dude. You got anything else? I think that's it, man. Cool, pal. Well, we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it
time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future would be a parade of flowers But now all that's left is a single rose That's the way Dude, what about that, um, what about that crazy, uh, the Toronto tunnel monster case? Man, that's crazy, dude. Isn't that crazy? I mean, there's so much about Canada on the West that we talk about, like the Northwest stuff, the Pacific mm -hmm. Northwest. We don't really get into, like, the Eastern side, and as luck would have it, that's where I'm headed this summer, so fingers mm. crossed. Cool. Going to, oh, uh, I think Quebec going to City, Montreal. Oh, wait a minute. Um, I think my art rep, I think Cam is out of Quebec. Man. Man, that'd I should see if uh, you guys yeah, could like, meet I'll up. meet him for coffee or something. Dude, that'd be awesome. He's a great guy. Yeah, man. I mean, are we cutting all this out? Yeah, probably, but I'll leave a little bit of it. 